to record. There we go. Episode 8, Counting Whales. <clears throat> and we're back with another episode of Curiously Polar, the podcast about, well, all, as I said in one episode, all, about all things very north and very south. <laughs> um, on the microphone next to me is Mario Aquarone, explorer, expedition leader and guide, skipper, and uh, probably one of the one of the experts for marine mammals. I've never met anyone who had that much knowledge about this. Uh, hello, Mario. Hello, Chris, and thank you. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of people that uh, would uh, say that there are other experts about of marine mammals. Of course, there are. But I have my. Uh, but I have my. Uh, I've done my share. I'm. Uh, um, you have. You have, in fact, lived among walruses. Yes, I have. I mean, that's that's what 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 does that mean? Have you did you like cuddle up to them or? Well, walruses are um, in when uh, live walruses are not the animals you want to cuddle up to because <laughs> they are kind of rough. Uh, not because they want to be rough, but they are just made like this. They are they are uh, living in a world where uh, uh, the skin is uh, three centimeters uh, thick leather and they got these uh, large tusks and uh, they uh, <laughs> they look kind of dangerous they look kind of dangerous but it surely looks quite cozy inside of a huddle of walruses that must be nice and warm. warm in there right yeah yes but exactly. but you lived you lived uh, not right among them but you lived pretty close to them for a while yeah i uh, studied um, walruses for my phd um it was in northeast greenland and it was a uh, it was a small, um, a small haul out, so a place where the walruses come on land in the summer uh, to uh, to rest in between their foraging trips. And um, I was, I had to do some uh, measures uh, with these animals, so I needed to get access to them. So I had to immobilize some of them and and do some some measures, uh, performing some measures, and then release them again and. And um, and this means that I've been touching quite a lot of walruses. <laughs> and you and you've been sleeping next to them in in a tent. Uh, I've been sleeping next to them in a tent. That is and amazing. And at the end, after the field season, you need a uh, shower. <laughs> I would imagine. So, so <laughs> that's let, let's let's keep that as an appetizer for for one of the future episodes. Yeah. Um, you definitely have to tell us a bit more about that at one time. Um, With pleasure. But the 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 topic for today uh, is well, it has to do with it in some way, and it's about counting. How do you count marine animals? Isn't I mean it's not as easy as just going there and um, and and calling all of them to the surface and then going by painting numbers on them. That's not how it works. Well, let's see. You could you could do that if you had uh, enough paint and enough patience. Probably. And, and if but you uh, had if you had a way to command them to the surface, because or, or you had a good submarine that could find all of them. Yeah, and an underwater painting system. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. um, the. Um, and of course, uh, like uh, marine animals, like you said, there are many types of marine animals and many different uh, um, models of marine mammal of marine animals. But if we if you look at um, like uh, vertebrates, so uh, bigger marine animals um, like fish, uh, one uh, there are several ways of counting them, but none of them are uh, an 
it's it's very difficult to do an absolute count uh, of marine animals or aquatic animals. Uh, so it's very difficult to, to uh, almost impossible in most cases to uh, to take them all into one corner, count them all like like sheep herding sheep inside a corral or cattle, and then counting the heads. Um, this is uh, or or this count is the legs that, and divide by four. Or count the legs. I think and that's how you four. count sheep. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't, if you don't fall asleep in between. Um, so, so that's um, that's one uh, that's one way of counting, of course. And this is uh, counting. Then, then you uh, then you can uh, go into something called estimation of abundance. So you can estimate the number. So you can get a like a statistical idea of uh, like yeah, there are more or less uh, so many of 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 this species or this individual uh, animal. The species and uh and uh, one way is the uh what we call the uh, mark recapture mm-hmm. um technique and in the mark recapture technique you uh let's say you imagine you have a you have a, a pond which could also be an ocean an ocean is just like a very big pond but if you take if you take a pond and you want to count how many fish of one species is in there then uh, you can uh, use for example a net and fish out a certain number of of fish from the pond and uh, and then you you tag them you put a little mark on them you can paint them or put a little uh, thing across their dorsal fin for example and uh, so that you can recognize them if you fish them again then you release them uh, so they are supposed supposedly alive uh, so those are those are again. little those are little numbered markers so you can like tell no, them apart or is it just yeah, a general marker it's just a general marker so you know that you have marked them okay uh, you, you don't need to put a number on them um, and then you you but you have to count how many you put out so so you fish a certain number of fish and you put them out so you fish an x number of fish and you put them out um, again so you assume that then they will mix with the rest of the population that is still in the pond and you haven't fished out and then you actually fish again and uh, and if the mixing has been ideal then you will catch a certain proportion of marked fish and a certain proportion of unmarked fish so it's it's like and it's then, like a dilution pretty much it's like a dilution uh, it's a titration so you you actually what you do is you look at the 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 proportion of marked fish uh in relation to the unmarked fish that you caught that you fished out is uh theoretically the same as the proportion of all the fish that you marked and the total population right but but so this is can, always under the assumption that uh, that, that the mixing is perfect, mixing. Is perfect yeah. which you do you know that yeah well you have to study the biology of the animals with with any form and of the behavior yeah with any form of ecological uh, research you need to know a lot about the animals not just the things that you are studying right. but uh, a lot about the behavior because the fish the, the fish could the fish could have their their clubs and hang out together all the time and then wouldn't wouldn't mix 
Oh yeah, well, I mean, possibly. They, uh, yeah, possibly, or maybe the fish might have a reaction to the individuals that are marked. Oh, mark. so so or, so they uh, might they might be like, oh, like, you look ugly with that thing on your back. Exactly. So you would have to introduce some uh, correction factors that are, for example, the tag effect. So the uh, effect of the tag on the behavior or on the longevity. Uh, because you also have to assume that uh, the animals that you have tagged, that they, uh, they swim the same as the others, uh, they live the same length of life as the others. Which, might, uh, which might not be the case, because with a tag on their back, that might, that might be uncomfortable yeah, you, for them, so they might swim in a different way. Yeah, I mean, uh, right. it's, it's, very, it's very surprising for, um, for penguins, and uh, for the first time maybe we go to the Antarctic, or you know, we talked about the Antarctic uh, in, uh, in a previous uh, climatic uh, episode. Right. But, uh, but for penguins, um, it was typical to put uh, tags, instead of putting them through uh, a fin, or like they don't have uh, fins, uh, but they got their wings, and uh, instead of putting... Uh, a tag uh, on the back or on a, on a, on a foot, they would put a rubber band, a colored rubber band on the wing, on the like uh, just uh, by the by the shoulder, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and that little rubber band, you know, like a, one of those flat pack rubber bands. Um, it's very cheap. It's a very cheap system. You put them on, they stay on. The penguins cannot take it off, um, and uh, it doesn't look like they would have any influence of, uh, on, the, on the penguins. But looking at the energy consumption in swimming uh, of animal of penguins, uh, there are some researchers that have seen that the penguins that have a rubber band on their flipper, on their wing, they have to use actually quite a large proportion of energy more really? than the penguins that don't have a rubber band. Is that is that because so, they because they try to get it rid of it in some way, or does it no, influence some, the way they swim? Yeah, some hydrodynamic effect, and uh, I mean there are things. I mean animals are made uh, have have their surface like the surface of a penguin. The shape of the of the feathers is uh, is optimized for the uh, for the swimming that they do. And when they have this uh, thing on the on the wing, there is the water flow that is different, and uh, and it makes it uh, makes it more uh, energetically expensive to do so you, to be that. You you think putting that on won't influence them and will be good for them because it doesn't like poke a hole in them or something. But yeah, then exactly. in, instead, you get a different kind of energy mm -hmm. expenditure. Yeah, well, this is this is we we go into to, uh, also like uh, philosophy of of science and uh, and philosophy of doing research is that uh, like if you uh, if you go into a system and you try to do some modifications to the system, you're actually influencing it. So um, so if you are uh, if you are trying to uh, to study. Uh, how many animals you have because of some conservation purposes or not just uh, purely curiosity um, but uh, but so you're trying to save uh, as many as possible or try to uh, study which measures would uh, be beneficial to the species or to the population but at the same time you uh, might have uh, uh, a negative influence on survival for those individuals that you studied you might introduce disturbance uh, from yourself being there, uh, stop them from feeding the same way they would have done. And in, in polar ecosystems, uh, things are quite, uh, quite harsh. So um, 
if, uh, for example, you reduce the feeding or the foraging by even one day, you might, uh, of an individual, you might uh, put in jeopardy its survival or its reproductive success. Is it that tight, really? That can be quite tight. It depends on the size of the animal and on the reserves uh, that it has and all kind of cycle it has. But usually smaller animals are more sensitive to, uh, to disturbance than larger animals. Um, but, uh, I mean, this is a generalization. It's not a, an absolute uh, truth, but, uh, but we can say this. But uh, so we have, uh, like, one way of counting is putting tags on the animal and then taking them up again. But uh, this has been tried for whales in something called the Discovery uh, Program. And uh, it, it was uh, a way... That has to nothing to do whales. with the Discovery Channel, the, the, the no, TV thing. it hasn't. But it, uh, it was the name of a, of a sonographic ship from the, the United Kingdom. I see. And, um, and uh, because uh, it was uh, a program that was uh, uh, put up during uh, uh, the period where whaling was quite normal... Um, uh, at the beginning, well, the middle of the 1900s, then they would, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the study program was to put, to shoot into whales, like free swimming whales, uh, a, a rod of metal with some serial number written on it, and then record where the tag was put out. So, then, so, so that rod, go, that rod goes in the blubber and just stays there, or even even further deep in into the muscles. Or oh wow! Like a like a syringe needle or something. Okay. Of course, it was quite a quite a large rod, but um, uh, but um, but these. Uh, so the the idea was that if you manage to uh, mark with this rod whales then you would know how many rods you had sent out. So it would be a little bit like uh, fishing out a certain number of fish and uh, tag them, mark them, and then put them down again in the water. Right. And then the, uh, the recapture, so this is the marking, and then the recapture would happen with the whaling. So something that was happening anyway. Oh, so when, so they, when, they, the, when they catch whales for, for science or for consumption? Or for consumption. So this is, was a period where whaling was uh, like a perfectly acceptable, normal commercial activity. Right. Um, and it was before the moratorium or the birth of the environmental <laughs> movement. We will and, discuss uh, that in a future episode in detail, by the way. The whaling, the whole whaling thing is as, as fascinating as all of the other things to me. Yeah, well, with pleasure. Um, so, like, uh, the idea was, let's see how many of these uh, rods, these discovery tags, they were called, um, are then gathered up again. And... Um, well, it turned out that uh, there wasn't a sufficient number of tags out because they didn't recover enough to have a reliable estimate of the population size. Okay. And uh, this brings us to uh, the problem with estimations, that you need to uh, uh, adjust the method to an expected population size in order to get a reliable estimate. I mean, that's that's the case with all sorts of statistics. You need a, 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 a specific sample size to be able to have some reliable numbers, right? Exactly. So, uh, so this, this was the period where whaling was still possible, but then in the, uh, in the 80s, uh, during the whaling moratorium, 
so when uh, whaling, commercial whaling was stopped by most countries, uh, they were out whaling. And, uh, and the idea was that one would uh, need to have a comprehensive assessment of uh, the population of whales, um, all the different whale species. And during this period, then several other methods that were less invasive or that didn't necessitate uh, the uh, hunting of the whales were put into place um, in order to find out uh, the numbers. And uh, there are basically, uh, there are two techniques that are used nowadays. And uh, one of them is a kind of, of marking and recapture technique. And it's the least uh, invasive and more time-consuming. And, uh, and this is called the, uh, the photo-identification technique. Um, and so for, uh, for whales that are easily recognizable, like, for example, uh, humpback whales that um, flip out their tail fluke, uh, out of the water yeah, which is and probably from a from a photographer's point of view and i am a photographer probably one of the most uh, frequent taken photos of whales is either their back fins or the fluke exactly yeah precisely and uh, and this is uh, this uh, this flipping out of the of the tail um actually uh, allows us to take a picture of the underside of the tail and both the shape and the coloring is something that is individual for each whale, a little oh. bit like our fingerprint. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, uh, so if you can make a catalog and compare whales, you actually have the marking, so how many whales you have checked, and then you can do a recapture by photographing a different, like a larger number of whales and, and seeing how many of the marked whales are there. That is amazing. So you won't have to stick anything in the whales. No, you wouldn't have, and uh, and this is uh, quite a pleasant uh, way of doing research. The problem is that uh, in order to take pictures of the underside of a whale, uh, of the of the tail fluke of a whale, you need a lot of hours out at sea. Is and uh, aren't there any methods where you could like use an underwater drone or something to to do uh, automatic yeah. reconnaissance there now now with the emergence of artificial intelligence yeah. you could have something that uh, automatically detects is this a whale or not and then takes a photo well there are no um there are no uh actual drones like underwater drones that have been used for this yet but the, the artificial intelligence or the um uh, computer power has been used in order to find some matching algorithms so that you can compare photographs uh, by computer and uh, instead of um, instead of sitting there and doing it visually which is extremely time consuming if you only have a small catalog of whales that you have already cataloged it's easy to go back if you have like say 10, 10 different whales that if you identified that's fine but when you have to compare every new picture with all of the other whale pictures that you have taken before and you might have a catalog of 500 or 1000 uh, then you uh, then you become actually quite tired, <laughs> or, or you again find uh, new ways of image recognition techniques. That exactly that's I yeah. think I think that's probably what what law for law enforcement will use to find fingerprints is they put them in and then there's an automatic mm. search. Yeah, so there are there are methods that were already uh, developed uh, 
in the 80s and uh, they go for example a first sorting uh, using the proportions of this of the tail so looking at the uh, the uh, width uh, compared to the uh, to the height of the uh, of the triangle of the caudal uh, fluke um, so it is there are there are things that go better and better and of course uh, uh, like uh, there are attempts of this and we have one uh, one example of the attempt uh, that we are doing here up in northern norway is a humpback whale uh, catalog and we'll put the link on the uh, on the show's uh, uh, page on this episode's um, details um that um we have a, an online catalog where we combine citizen science and uh, image recognition uh, automatic image recognition and it's a project that is uh, partially funded by uh, the National Geographics, um, and um, and so anybody that takes pictures of whales can upload their tail fluke picture, and uh, and then the machine can then do a first sorting. There is always a human at the end to have to that has to validate the matching. Uh, to an existing whale in the catalog or an addition of a whale to a catalog but uh, but uh, the bulk of the work is done by uh, a machine so everyone who's been out and did some whale watching and some whale photography um, check the show notes there will be a link for you to upload your photo and your location and the time probably when you took it and um, you will be helping science you will help yes, you exactly. help count yeah. whales that's awesome yeah there are there are several projects like this all around the world and uh, we'll try to put uh, examples of others and it's either that you can upload directly your picture uh, to the site and uh, sometimes in the picture in the exif uh, partial exif uh, part of the of the picture you have uh, uh, the new cameras with gps position so you already have the time and the position <laughs> if, and, and maybe even the the copyright and the name of the of the of the um, of the photographer. So uh, and if not, make sure you set the time, the clock on your camera, right? No, but I guess that the in the exit file you you have the GPS time. If you have GPS, uh, so but then with so some cameras, you have to tell the camera to use the GPS time. So yeah, exactly. It's always yeah. good to double check. But this is details. But <laughs> but the um, but the county. So doing a mark capture can be done by photographing. It can also be done by uh, by genetic fingerprinting. So you can actually take a small sample by uh, shooting a dart on the animal and taking out a a, uh, a small piece of skin. So it's a, so it's a, a dart very, very on a string, small, pretty much. Yeah, or like a floating dart. So when it goes into the whale, it just bounces out, and he and he will. Uh, it will float, so the ah, researcher okay. can take it. Sometimes the uh, some whales actually, most whales actually um, uh, lose uh, uh, sloughs of their skin, like like dandruff when they are swimming. So you can actually even go in the water and and take out the the pieces of skin that has come out. It's um, it's it's very interesting <laughs> when you Whale look dandruff. at what, what's what's in the what's in the uh, yeah what's in the in the water in the wake of a whale. And then, but but this is of course expensive uh, because you need to do some genetic fingerprinting in the lab. But it can give other data about, uh, for example, relationship between individuals, um, like are the uh, two whales on the two sides of two sides of the Atlantic, for example, in like closely related, like uh, mother and son or or cousins or whatever. 
Can you can and you then, tell the the sex of a whale by just the shape sure. of the fluke? Or I mean, da, g genetically no, no, for sure, but no. genetically for sure. By looking, right? no, it's harder. No, no. Um, most whales are not um, are not dimorphic, uh, so they are the males and the females are pretty similar. Uh, some whales, uh, in some in some species of whales, you can exclude one sex. Uh, for example, sperm whales. The males are the the large adult males are definitely much larger than any female uh, so if you see a, a very large sperm whale of a certain size like up towards the 18 meters uh, then you're sure that it's going to be a male but uh, but you cannot tell from a smaller sperm whale if it is a male or a female um, so it's difficult to to see it the uh, the only sure way to to uh, identify uh, the sex of a whale out at or a dolphin out at sea is to look at its uh, at its genitals mm -hmm. mm. and they are very difficult to uh, I mean, they are very rarely exposed so it's difficult to uh, to to have uh, an idea of that Uh, sometimes you can infer that it's a female if it has a smaller individual beside, uh, much smaller, like a calf, uh, a newborn. Uh, and some whales uh, are together with their mother for years. Um, so, um, so you might have uh, an idea that this is a female because it has a smaller individual But just that's, beside. That's just an inference. Just as an inference, and it depends on the species, of course. Okay. Uh, if there are some things, but th but the. Just to uh, to go through the uh, uh, the method of countings, then we have something called uh, line transect sampling. Line transect sampling. Line transect sampling. Transect. So uh, so the idea is that you um, you have um, you have a a um, an area that you want to uh, to survey. And in this area, you want to take um, a statistical sample of this area. So you have to estimate to take some sub areas, and in these sub areas, estimate how many animals you you see. So um, um, in practice, what you do is you uh, define some transect lines, some some uh, like a, a route for your craft, which could be a ship or an airplane, and uh, and then. These lines, which uh, have to be usually they are perpendicular to the coast or to any feature that could be stratifying for some sort of behavior, like if an animal is only on the 500 meters bathymetry, uh, then uh, you would not uh, lay your transect line just on the 500 meter bathymetry, but you would make it at right, you would cross at right angles with this, so you have equal chance of sampling. And then you 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 actually navigate this route and along this route you record uh, um, you record each uh, sighting and uh, like of course if you are recording only the sighting that are dead ahead uh, that are on the transit line you would have a, a certain number of animals but you would not know how much of the area has been surveyed because you are only taking the uh, a transect line a line doesn't have a it only has one dimension right so you need to uh, to uh, to estimate to to estimate a larger area and you need to know how many animals you have in this area so you have the length of the transect and you can create a strip transect so you can say well i count animals only like 200 meters on each side of the craft oh so within a certain strip width 
pretty much. So, yes. so you're now turning yeah. that line into into, into a, a rectangle, strip. pretty much. Into a rectangle, mm -hmm. which is a sub uh, a sub area or a, a proportion, uh, uh, a subsampling of the total area that you want to estimate to. But you assume that uh, the animals are equally distributed and they are not moving very fast compared to the speed of the of the ship or the aircraft, for example. And um, so you can go around and see. Well, I've seen in this area, I've seen so many animals. Uh, then uh, you have to adapt for the or to correct for for example for which proportions of the animals are available for you to see because these are marine mammals and they are at the surface or available for you to see only a proportion of their daily life so you would need to have some accessory data that you cannot gather during a tra during a survey but uh, you can uh, you can study by for example uh, attaching instruments on them um, not not exactly on the same individuals, but if you take a, another statistical sample of the population and a significant sample of the population, and uh, and you put these dive loggers that uh, can provide you with how much of their time these animals are on the surface. So it's, or it's like one of these water. GPS loggers that we would use on the surface to see our um, wh where we went, and this would be recording how deep they went and when they did it. Yeah, something similar. Of course, the mm -hmm. GPS signal doesn't go underwater, uh, right. but uh, but you would have a, a depth uh, meter, a depth gauge that right. is recording um, how deep uh, the animals are going and how long time they are spending uh, at the uh, it's a, it's a clock connected to a, to a depth meter. Right. And, uh, well, there are several other uh, correction factors. You can have a correction factor for the weather conditions because... Uh, it's much more difficult to see a whale in uh, bad weather than it is to see a whale when the sea is totally flat, calm, and uh, like a mirror. True. You can see very far away. It's uh, much more difficult to see a whale if you're looking straight against the sun than if you're looking the other way um, because of the glare right. uh, of the surface of the water. So you have all these correction factors that are gathered typically in a, a separate studies that can be used to correct for the availability of the animals or the the uh, possibility of detecting the animals. And this is for a strip, uh, for a definite strip width, but uh, there is an even more uh, complex way, but uh, probably more uh, more efficient way of uh, of doing uh, uh, of doing the calculations, which is actually uh, estimating the strip width by looking at the sightings that you have actually made, provided that you know how far away the sightings are from the transect line. Oh, so you wouldn't you wouldn't say, um, let's do this strip width, but you would say, let's do, um, let's watch and then record where we saw them and by that kind of deduct the strip width. Yes. Typically, you would have, uh, you would measure an angle. Uh, if you are on a, on a ship, you would measure uh, the angle from the course line at which you have seen the whale, right. and then estimate the distance either by just the like eyeballing, like a measure of uh, uh, like an estimation, like your personal estimation of the distance, or by using a laser rangefinder if uh, the conditions are adapted. Right. Um, um, or if you are on an aircraft, you know your height from the surface of the sea. 
and uh, and you take the angle with a clinometer of where you see the animal so as it crosses across uh, a perpendicular angles to the course line. So it's pretty much triangulation from that point. So it's, it is a triangulation, it's Pythagoras, and uh -huh. you have the distance from the track line of <laughs> your sighting. And as is natural, uh, it's intuitive that you probably have a higher chance of uh, seeing animals that are close to the track line than they are than those that are far away from the track line. Um, then you have uh, uh, a uh, like a bell curve of distribution, ideally a bell curve distribution on each side of the track line of the distance of the sightings <laughs> and the, the number of the sightings. Um, so you can um, you can plot so in on the x-axis the distance from the track line and on the y-axis the number of sightings and you should get a uh, bell curve distribution then then you can you can fit into a probability uh, curve this so is you amazing. can actually define define what is the probability that you see uh, a s given percentage of your sightings let's say 90% of your sightings and then you can define how far away from the track line you saw 90% of your sightings and define that is your strip width and calculate that this is 90% of your sightings. Wow. And then there are complex calculations in there, but uh, but uh, at the end you get an estimation. So how, how, good is, how good is that estimation when we look at counting whales these days? Are we talking about within a 90% certainty or within a 70% certainty? It, it really depends. It really depends. And... Uh, it uh, the one thing that is important is to look at, for example, at, at the measure of uncertainty for each estimate. So you have a central measure, which is a mean or a median. That you have a mean. Uh, let's say that you have the average, uh, the mean of the of your measure, and then you have a confidence interval. So let's say you have a you've seen a hundred whales, but the confidence interval is between uh, seventy-five and uh, one hundred and twenty-five. So there could be. 75 or 125 usually it's called uh, like a, for example a 95% confidence interval so so you are you see and the, you see what is the uh, probability of error uh, that you made in your counting and some of these uh, confidence intervals are very narrow so you are pretty sure that we are talking about this number of animals and um, and some of the uh, Confidence is all very large, but uh, this is the only the only data you got, and uh, and the confidence intervals depend on conditions, weather conditions, for example. Wow! If you are sending a ship out in the North Atlantic and uh, doing uh, and doing some countings, you have the ship time only for uh, that month, and if you have a stormy month, you have very few days, very little data, and uh, then you have a uh, you have a like a <laughs> Large confidence interval. I never thought. I never thought there was so much going into counting animals, especially yes. underwater. Wow! So and, and and just to just to complete the picture, uh, usually you have limitations that are due to your craft, to the craft that you're using. So you cannot. Uh, it's it's very difficult to uh, take, for example, a whole basin like the North Atlantic. In 2007, when I was working at the North Atlantic Marine Mammal Commissions, we coordinated a big trans-North Atlantic sighting survey where there were several ships and aircraft that were acting more or less simultaneously and they were covering everything from Newfoundland, actually the Gulf of St. Lawrence and uh, 
up along Greenland and all the way to the uh, European, uh, uh, the northern European coast. And that was uh, enormous, but it was a, a huge effort of coordination of uh, different institutes and different funding sources and different crafts and different observers. And there are not that many people that work with with uh, sighting surveys for marine mammals. So even finding the observers to do this at the same time was difficult because the countries that were <laughs> they were first out they got the best observers sure. they got the best uh, the best people but usually and uh, this is something for example in norway where they count minke whales uh you do or uh, it's in uh, something that is used around antarctica um you take a little part of the total area every year and uh, and then you combine into a mosaic uh the different uh the different areas especially if you are in the polar areas you cannot use the winter because it's too dark so you cannot do sighting surveys that's true there's like four and, months uh, of the year it's, it's entirely black yeah so you you have limitations or there are some areas that are too covered in ice um for some species like when i was working in greenland uh, we are counting narwhal and bowhead and belugas and the, you have to do your surveys in west greenland as the ice retreats because sure. this is when the uh, from its maximum extension south in baffin bay because this is when uh, this is when the animals are pressing northwards and so they are they are more compact together so you can't even count when and where you want all no. the time so there are there are different constraints and then there are the constraints that are given by uh, natural resource management and uh and and this is like political uh constraints so you need to have uh like by international agreements uh you need to have uh for example in norway a um an estimate every uh every six year um uh, so you need to complete your mosaic survey within six years uh, and uh, and this is um, this is a constraint so you need to cover the whole area <laughs> in the six years oh, wow. so you need to do your mosaic that sounds like a difficult task are, but it's very important because it's uh, it's at, at the basis of natural resource management you need to know how many animals there are in the sea and uh, and now we talked only about about whales seals it's something similar but uh, with seals we do uh, counts in special periods of the year for example when uh, <laughs> when the seals are hauled out and they are popping i'm 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 getting the idea we should probably start a sister podcast to this one that is titled counting animals there's like so much in there wow i think we, yeah. we only just scratched the surface but i think it's a really important thing because yes as you said it's the basis for like everything for for a lot of the science for for whaling for the uh the the the, uh, the allowed amounts of whales that can be caught and so on it's always based on the entire population um so but even, even even knowing what's the effect of pollution of course uh, yeah like we're saying if you want to know like uh, are is microplastics uh, the are microplastic uh, bits uh, uh, dangerous for the marine fauna marine megafauna then you need to know how many you have in order to find out i mean this is one one way of looking at it of course you can look at the physiological effects and other effects but uh, but a very clear signal is when a population is declining and you do not know or you know why they are declining um, and of course with animals that are long-lived it's uh, more difficult to uh, to have a sensitive early warning 
right. for a declining population. But for smaller animals, and uh, here we go, like fish and and others that can be counted by using, uh, uh, by using, uh, for example, sonars or or uh, like doing some sort of market capture with the with a trawl with a with net um, that is a little bit more immediate. Um, then you can have a pretty good idea of like year to year effects. All right. Science is a lot about counting. That's the idea that I'm getting from this. So well, we need to quantify <laughs> yes. things in order to make calculations. <laughs> Very true. So I think that concludes this episode, how to count whales uh, of Curiously Polar. Uh, if you are out there and, for example, if you happen to be out on iTunes um, we would really appreciate if you could give us a little rating, uh, a few stars, click click that rating thing, because that's pretty much the only way that helps us being seen out there and uh, is it's the way for other people to discover this podcast. We're going to continue on a hopefully weekly schedule. That's the plan for now. And until then, we'll be back next week. Mario, stay cool. Stay cool, Chris. Thank you.